Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. But affirmative action. And someone said, Odell, you black. Did you benefit from affirmative action? Of course I did. Politics is dirty. It's not a clean thing. And people use power to maintain their power. What's what's going on with the GOP? What's going on? I mean, you all are fighting each other. Why are you staying in? Why are you taking this abuse? And I said, well, first off, I don't consider it abuse. I consider it my duty to represent District 3 and the kids. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill. One. You got to have one a nope. token black person. A token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you this evening in the precious name of Jesus the Christ. God, we just thank you for all your grace and mercy. We just thank you for having a good time on vacation and just checking with family and everybody's doing fine. God, we know that we have this journey called life. And we just ask you to continue to help us, guide us and lead us. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for the holiday season, the 4th of July. We celebrate uh, the independence of our nation. And uh, thank you for uh, safe travels to Cleveland to see family and uh, back and forth with our family. We thank you for a little break at uh, going to the beach with uh, Odell and Bev Cleveland and getting to enjoy time with them. Now, bless this podcast as we talk about uh, current subjects. Amen. Bill, affirmative action, U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court has been very busy, Bill. Affirmative actions, which some, not all, white people think is an unfair advantage to black folks. Affirmative action, not all, but some where black people don't like the term affirmative action or when they get on the job is like, well, Odell only had that job because of affirmative action. So, Bill, let's talk about affirmative action. Let's talk about, you know, the United States Supreme Court, that part of our government, because, as you know, we have the legislative branch. Of course, we have the executive branch, of course. And then we have the judicial branch, and that's the branch where no one elected them. And I think is a lifetime appointment. And I think, Bill, if I remember quite right, and I want our audience to help me understand that when an opening comes up, the sitting president has the honor and the privilege and the right to appoint the next Supreme Court justice. However, 
I think I remember, and I might be wrong because I'm getting old and, you know, I was at the beach and I got a suntan. So, you know, the dark skinned brother, you know, got a suntan. He's a little darker, but I good. think it looks good. Well, you. thank you. I think even my bald spot now is a little darker. So Mitch McConnell was the leader of the Senate and President Barack Obama was the president of the United States of America and an opening came up. And Mitch McConnell, if I'm not mistaken, stalled that opening for eight months. And what Mitch said was, you know, we think it's only fair with the possibility of a new president that we wait and allow this new president to appoint the next Supreme Court justice. Black people, Odell thought that was ridiculous. And we know that Mitch was playing games. But for eight months, Bill, Mitch did what he did. And the interesting thing about it is President Trump came in, appointed one Supreme Court justice, then appointed another one. And Bill, just before he got ready to the next election, it was another opening. And Mitch McConnell, I think it's the same Mitch, Mitch McConnell passed laws where he could pass this person through in eight weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I understand eight months for the black president because we couldn't do it. Eight weeks before the next election for President Trump. And Mitch said, all that's fair. Nothing's wrong here. I used the same principles and applied the same strategy for one situation than the other. And you say, Odell, what does that have to do with affirmative action? And it has everything to do with it. From the fact that these are the individuals that's on the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas, who openly say he despised affirmative action, even though he's benefited from affirmative action for most of his life, and his good rich friends who take him hunting and fishing and all these things, and some of the other justices who see cases, hear cases that involve their good rich friends who fly them all around the world hunting and fishing or whatever they do. So I said, hey, let's just elect the Supreme Court justices and just elect them. Let them be elected and hold them accountable. And we said, guys, uh, might be a conflict of interest here. And they said, nothing to see here. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Is nothing to see here. Roe v. Wade, nothing to see here. Until the, the red wave, I think that's what they said, 2022, big red wave and all this stuff. And the red wave turned into a trickle. So now all of a sudden, someone say, Odell, you on a rant today? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But affirmative action. And someone say, Odell, you black. Did you benefit from affirmative action? Of course I did. I remember in many times, Bill, when I was in college, I'm sure that I was the check on somebody's application. Check. Black. Yeah, he's black. Check. But I played basketball, too. I remember getting a job in the trucking industry and see, I don't always know, Billy, you could help me with this, that how does affirmative action go in the workplace as we goes to workplace diversity after the court's ruling? Do you have to hire a certain amount of minorities on a governmental contract anymore? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. So now all of a sudden, I, got, I remember getting my first job out of college. It was a trucking company and I was the first black manager trainee ever in the life of the company. And the company's like 50, 60, 70 years old. 
And the only reason they hired me is because a bigger company just bought them out and the bigger company had a little bit more progressive practices as far as diversity and minorities, but you still had to do the job, Bill. So I said all that, my friend, to say our Supreme Court is at it again, led by Chief Justice Clarence Thomas, a black man. And one of the things I try not to do on this show is talk junk, one black man talking junk about another black man. However, I'll say this, Bill, if we were doing baseball trading cards and I traded you a Thurgood Marshall for a Clarence Thomas, somebody lost. <laughs> what say you, my friend? I'd take a Mickey Mantle. <laughs> well, there's a lot there to unpack. Well, let's start out with what is affirmative action? What is that? What do you think it is? Well, I just think it's a law that's designed to level the playing field to give everyone somewhat equal access to having the opportunity. I don't think it does anything more than give one the opportunity. So that's what I think it is. And, but help me from your perspective. Okay. What about the people that affirmative action affected negatively? I think that's absolutely correct. Because what affirmative action did do, it knocked some people who qualified out of the box, i.e., let's say Harvard University, because I think the lawsuit says it was Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. And with all respect to the Tar Heels, it's like you meet a pretty girl and she has a friend with her. This was about Harvard. Harvard was the pretty girl. North Carolina was the friend, Bill. Oh, okay. North Carolina was the friend. Do you know anybody that it affected negatively? I don't know anyone personally, but I think it's a lot of people who it did get affected negatively. But what I do know is a lot of people who never got opportunities because of the color of their skin or because of their gender. So I know that part of it. I, I know people who've been de denied. So I don't, I'm not going to say that affirmative action affected them negatively. The lack thereof of affirmative action affected them negatively. I know somebody that it affected negatively. Who, you? Yep. Okay, let's talk about it. I was applying to law school. Okay. And uh, I went in, and I didn't have great scores. And uh, for my LSAT, I went into the admission office, and they said, Bill, normally we'd let you in, but we have to have affirmative action. We have to let a certain amount of other people in. Uh -huh. And uh, so thank you very much, but go away. So it affected me negatively. I would have gotten in. How, how did that make you feel? Well, it, you know... First off, I don't get shook up about this stuff, okay? Okay, because I, I figured God's hands in it somehow, and I wasn't supposed to go to law school. So I took a gap year, and I worked for a congressman, and I ended up in the House of Representatives uh, living with him because his wife went to California to take care of her mom, and her kids, his kids were in college. So I was his roommate, and I got to do things that no one else did. I got to go on the house floor. I got to take all kinds. Of, so it worked out, and uh, would I have been better? Been a, would I have been a good lawyer? I would hope so. But am I bitter about it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, it is what it is. I wasn't going to change it, but I'm just probably one of many people that it's affected the other way. But then I can see this, the reason why you'd want to have affirmative action, because there's this, this thing called white privilege. And uh, I was a benefit of white privilege. So it's a, you know, it's, I don't get worked up on this stuff. I just trust the Lord and it works out in the long run. By eliminating affirmative action, you know, one of the interesting things that I've discovered is over the last year, there's a lot of controversial things coming in front of the Supreme Court. 
and they're changing. Why is that all of a sudden? I don't know, but I just think it's one of those things where all of a sudden pendulums swing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned earlier that in my opinion, my humble opinion, that the pretty girl was Harvard. Her friend was University of North Carolina. Well, I don't think a Tar Heel is going to have an issue with that, but I don't have an issue with it. Okay. <laughs> well, let me just say this. I went to Harvard and I went to Harvard and anytime I wear a Harvard t-shirt or say that I went to Harvard in the presence of white folks, not always, I get a, you went to Harvard, <laughs> you know, or if I've had total strangers stop me when I had on a Harvard t-shirt and say, did you go to Harvard? And what is it about me wearing a Harvard t-shirt or me saying to someone, I went to Harvard, that I get this response, you went to Harvard. And, and it's really automatically, Bill. So let me tell you, I went to Harvard. Let me, let me, yes. you, go ahead. When did you go to Harvard? I went to Harvard Divinity School, uh -huh. their Summer Leadership Institute for Church-Based Community and Economic Development. Mm -hmm. It was from June 19th to June the 30th, 2006. So, and graduated with a certificate, all this kind of good stuff. And my experience in Harvard was like none other. I went in and they had leaders 99.999% black from all over the country. These guys and ladies had PhDs and all these things. A lot and of they, letters after this. Uh, a lot of letters, Bill. And <laughs> I just remember saying to myself, man, I, I know I'm smart, but am I this smart? And, 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 and we would go to class. And that's the first time I ever heard about this thing called a case study example. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what a case yeah. study example yeah. was and how all this worked. And some of the speakers, and again, a lot of these other people knew these speakers who was coming in to speak to us, these were like national figures and folks would get excited. And I'm like, who is this person? But I say all that to say this. I remember staying up to three, four in the morning reading, trying to read because I couldn't get the reading and the writing part of it per se. However, once they got beyond the reading and the writing and explaining what some of these concepts and theories was that I never heard of in my life, they didn't teach you all this in the, in the projects, Bill. Believe me, they didn't give you the Harvard education in the projects. But once I got it and really got my hands in it and felt decent about it, then they started talking about the practical aspect of it, the practical side of that case study. And that's when I was able to talk about welfare reform and all the things that I was doing. And I remember the professor or the dean who was over it said, we're going to be here for 15 whatever days. And at the end, we're going to select three or four of yours program as a case study. And I think I was probably at the bottom of that class going in. But on the last day, I was one of the ones up there presenting what we've done because a lot of times, Bill, academics and book smarts are one thing but actually being in the gutter, in the, on the street, dealing with the people, a lot of times, not all, but some people read about how to do this, but actually going out there making a difference makes all the difference in the world. So that's kind of my experience at Harvard and I enjoyed it. And they send me letters as a Harvard alum. I guess you could go there for one day and then they're gonna send you these donation letters. I send money, they send letters. I send money, they send letters. 
and asked me if I want to refer anybody else in because that's another part about Bill with affirmative action is that almost like if I went to Harvard or my father went to Harvard or my grandfather, it's almost like now you get to go in because you had a family member who went in. Mm-hmm. So is Le- that going to be challenged? Yeah, legacy. So is should legacy be challenged, Bill? If affirmative action needs to be challenged, would legacy needs to be challenged at the Supreme Court level also? What's yeah, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, a couple questions. What dorm were you in at Harvard? Do you remember? I don't remember what dorm. One thing I do remember, though, I remember going into the John F. Kennedy uh, lecture hall and how impressive it was. And I also remember meeting in some of these rooms and they had no air conditioning. I mean, these buildings were so old that they were old, old. And it's like no air conditioner, no this, no that. And the privilege of walking around Harvard's campus. And then we went to wherever our dorms was and we had to walk by MIT. Mm-hmm. MIT is right next to it. And I remember yeah. we were going across the, I don't know, maybe it's Harvard. Yeah, I don't Harvard know. Yard. Well, it's Harvard Yard, but where they were doing the rowing things. Uh, oh, Scully. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it was the river. Uh, yeah, river. Charles River. Okay. So, see, I was there, but I didn't know I was. Well, well, let me tell you, I don't know if you know, but I stayed in Richards Hall. I went to Harvard. So, tell me the significance of Richards Hall. Richards Hall is right across from the School of Law. Okay. And it's where I stayed when I studied at Harvard. I studied modern Chinese history, expository writing, and a couple other things. Okay. And okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I get the same reaction when I wear a Harvard shirt. They go, you went to Harvard? Because <laughs> I'm from Parma, man. Nobody goes to Harvard from Parma. <laughs> so both of us sitting here on this podcast, both of us had the pleasure and opportunity to go to Harvard University for whatever program it was. And it makes a difference, Bill. Yeah. It makes a difference. That's some of the best education I received other than actually I being agree. in the hood. Because one agree. thing about the yeah. hood teaches you how to survive. Yeah. Now, Harvard doesn't teach you how to survive. You have to learn how to survive. Harvard yeah. assumes you had a certain position or station in life. Yeah. And you kind of go from there. Well, because I applied and got in, my brother David applied and got in. And I think my brother Richard might have even gone. I, I can't remember, but I know David did. Do you think it's because of your... No, no, no. They just applied for the summer session and he, he got in. I think we got in because we were so friggin' poor. Well, one of the things about it is this. <laughs> I remember how I got in because as a young lady, PhD, she somehow, I think she sent the email, hey, just got back from Harvard, had a great time. And I said, oh man, that was great. Harvard, I wish one day I could do that. And she says, you can't. I'm like, oh, come on, don't be playing with me. She said, no, 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 let me call and, you know, because it was one of those things, let me call and get the application and put my name on it, like sponsoring you, almost like the country club. Someone has to sponsor you. Yeah, well, not in the summer session. Well, maybe now they do, but back then, I remember the uh, uh, Holyoke Center is their administration building. It's Uh across the street. And Holyoke uh, was a man that owned uh, schooners, and he made all his money by running heroin. And he donated by running heroin, heroin during the uh, 1910 in that time period when they did the Bermuda, uh, the triangle, I forgot what it was called, but where they would take heroin, smuggle it into China and then get money out of China and use it to go back and get more drugs. So Holyoke Center. So I was in Holyoke Center. I was going to the administration to do something and I'm waiting for the elevator. And this guy comes up next to me, huge black man, I mean, uh-huh. huge. I mean, he had to be seven foot tall. Wow. 
And the elevator door is open and he ducks in mm-hmm. to get in and he had to keep his head down because it was hitting the top of the elevator. I didn't know who he was. And there was a person with him, white person, and it was Lou Alcindor. Wow. Yeah. Which is- uh, And he was a speaker there. No, he's a student. He was a student with us. He wasn't in my class, but he was taking summer classes. At Harvard. At Harvard. Yeah. Wow. And then I remember in our dorm, we had a 13-year-old kid in our dorm. So, Bill- and I was in college. So was he Al Cinder or Muhammad Ali? No, no. I mean, not Muhammad Ali, uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at then the time. Then he was Lou Al Cinder at the time. Got it, got yeah. it. Now, now, Bill, I have my, you know, we say a t-shirt and a hat. Yeah, we got to start wearing our Harvard t-shirts. They're going to think we're twins. You know, well, hey, we have our Perma t-shirt. <laughs> but you got, a, you got a better tan than me, so they're not going to recognize listen, It is what it is, man. I got my Harvard shirt and- it's a nice like, shirt. Well, I still I, I write in this shirt sometime. When I'm writing books late at night in my office at home, I put on that shirt. Aren't you proud that you went to Harvard? Aren't I am, you proud? I'm proud I went to Harvard. But remember now, in this lawsuit, Harvard had another girl with her. Mm-hmm. And usually we say, who's the, who's the other girl? But let's talk about the other girl, Bill. Let's talk about University of North Carolina Tar Heels. And we're not talking about basketball here. We're talking about affirmative action and part of this ruling. And we have a good friend who we call the Maverick, Bill, who sits on that board. And, you know, it's the Maverick. Uh, you know, you see the Maverick, Marty Cotis, our good friend on national TV. I think it was Fox interviewing them about the whole thing of affirmative action. And sure enough, our main man, the Maverick, who's been on this show many times, came through. So, Bill, let, let's set it up to the audience what the Maverick said, and then we'll play this short clip of how the Maverick responded representing the board of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, this system in the state, the great state of North Carolina, which we live. Yep. It was interesting. He uh, he was on Fox Business, and um, he posted on Twitter. And uh, Marty Cotis is spelled K-O-T-I-S, and he talks about affirmative action. And they were asking him about that. So let's go ahead and play it. Trustees joins me now. Marty, thank you for joining us. How does the board? How are you going to do this? How how radically do things change? Things can change pretty quickly here. Mm. Uh, but the question is how we enforce a lot of these uh, new changes that we're going to make to the policy manual. Uh, we've already done some audits of different uh, admissions criteria, as well as the uh, admissions or the campus tour process. We are going to next address this by uh, dialing in, seeing exactly what we can and can't do, I think the university still has an interest in a holistic approach, evaluating the whole individual. And there's not going to be a change, uh, I don't perceive, of allowing people to describe their personal history and the things that are important to them, the obstacles they've overcome. But we do need to make sure that we are not pressing down on the scale for one set of folks while uh, reducing opportunities for another. That's, That's really the crux of the problem, is taking away opportunities. Well, and that's, you know, there are people who say, look, uh, black and Hispanic students are really going to be underrepresented now. How would you respond to that? I'd say we need to address the root problems. The Mm. root problems aren't necessarily at the college level. We need to look at K through 12. We need to look at societal issues. We can't look at this uh, quick fix band-aid that's thrown on at the college level or the appearance of there not being a problem. We need to get down and dig into the root problems. 
so that our applicant pool reflects, uh, you know, really a lot of free choice as well as opportunity uh, for everyone out there. We can't, uh, again, we can't window dress. We've got to actually right. dig into the root problems. And I think that's what the Supreme Court has uh, really allowed here is for us to dig into those root problems. Very quickly, Marty, you want to get to this. Uh, President Biden announcing new steps to help borrowers repay their student loans after, of course, the Supreme Court blocked his debt relief plan. But does any of this actually address, you talk of root problems, what about the root problem of student debt? Where, you know, what's the root of that, the crisis in student debt? Yeah, the root problem is not student debt. The root problem is college affordability. Hmm. Our board has taken steps. We're at seven years now with flat tuition hmm. uh, for in-state uh, students for undergrad. Hmm. That's how you solve problems. You dig in and you start looking at financial uh, fiscal management of the university. And our uh, university CFO and chancellor have done a great job in solving a $100 million deficit, uh, we're digging into departments and looking at the costs there. That's how you fix the problem. You don't fix it by writing off debt for folks and asking electricians and hairdressers to pay for someone's college degree. You also have to look at what the value proposition is. Are we offering enough uh, move, move? Are we moving the needle enough in someone's outcomes? Are they earning more when they graduate with a college degree? I think there's a real need for transparency in education lending. Uh, yeah. Congresswoman uh, Fox has championed efforts like that, and I hope that we can see that occur uh, at a federal level. I, th I think lots of people would like that. Marty, uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And So that's Marty Cotis, who's on the board of trustees, I think, for the colleges of North Carolina. That's the Maverick, baby. That's Maverick. That's yeah. our main man, Maverick, and, and that's who he is. He's got a podcast called Maverick Hey, with Marty Cotis. So if you want to hear it, look it up. Bill, you know, let's switch gears a little bit. The Supreme Court, again, North Carolina made national headline, you know, again, for all the wrong reasons. This time, the U.S. Supreme Court took a common sense, real moderate position on a case called Moore versus Hopper brought by the North Carolina Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, to challenge the court system's role in exercising judicial oversight over the action of the legislative bodies. Specifically, Bill, Republican leaders in the legislature was pressing something called the independent state legislature theory, in which they maintained that the Supreme Court couldn't ban the General Assembly from creating radically gerrymandering districts to the GOP benefit, even if they violated constitutional voter protections. You know, it's complicated, but the Supreme Court decision means that legislatures don't get a blank check to draw districts that guarantee political majorities regardless of the vote total and that other governmental officials, courts can question and overturn decisions that were, you know, just unconstitutional. So I'm glad that the same Supreme Court that I think is jacked up sometime said no. And to Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, he had a rough week because I guess he's sitting there saying, oh, they threw away, they threw out Roe v. Wade, they threw out affirmative action. Oh, my thing is a piece of cake. And they threw his out too, Bill. Why do you think they threw that one out? I don't know. You know, I think, I think that um, giving... The legislature control to 
gerrymander, you know, that's been going on on both sides. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. And then it goes, it ends up in court. Yeah, it ends up in court. So, you know, originally to set the districts up, it was to balance population. Right. You know, because in the congressional, you needed like 700,000 per person. Well, if an area grows a lot, they'll have less representation. So let's say one area grows from 700,000 to 1.4 million, and you still have one congressman. That means one person represents 1.4 million, and they wanted to do every congressman for 700,000. So that was the concept. It's kind of like in each state, the congressional districts represent, you get so many congressional districts based on population. Right. So as North Carolina grows, we get more congressional districts, which means we have more power in the House. But the Senate, as you know, it doesn't care how many population, you get two votes, two senators. So you can get a little state like Rhode Island that is small and tiny, and they got two senators, and they only may have one congressman. Right. And so, you know, it's just the way our system's set up. Is it perfect? Heck no. But it's working, and at times it's not very pretty. It's at times not very productive. But right now, it's the best system we got. Listen, I agree, you know, and one of the things, Bill, on TV show I used to do, we've interviewed uh, Tim Moore, Speaker Tim Moore, and, you know, he had a tough week. He just had a tough week because in the middle of the Supreme Court saying no, he was involved in a lawsuit and a lawsuit against North Carolina Speaker Tim Moore is ending only about two weeks after a Wake County Republican filed the action accusing Moore of carrying on a more than three-year affair with his wife and using his powerful position to entice her to a relationship. But you know, one thing happened this week, Bill? It says on Mondays, attorneys on both men said the matter is resolved. So all of a sudden, I hate you, you hate me, you did this, you did this, and all of a sudden it got resolved. How How does things just get resolved, Bill? I don't know, but I got a couple guesses. Politics is dirty. It's not a clean thing. And people use power to maintain their power. When people get power is very corrupting. It's very, very corrupting. You have to have a great constitution. You know, Dory and I have been listening to a book, 1776, by David McCullough. And uh, and in it, he talks about King George. When King George heard that George Washington, after he won the Revolutionary War, resigned from his post. Yeah. And then even after he became president for two terms, resigned from his post and gave the keys of power back. King George said, if that's true, what I'm hearing, he is the greatest man on earth. Wow. And that's because power can corrupt. And uh, George Washington, much to his credit, didn't let it corrupt him. In fact, it's interesting. We were studying, and this is off subject, but when they- Nothing's off subject on our podcast, yeah, Bill. True. Nothing's off subject. Well, it's if you get a chance to listen to David McCullough on YouTube, he talks about his book, 1776. But he talks about George Washington, and in particular, you know, they lost a lot of battles. He wasn't a, he wasn't a general from the standpoint of a military expert. In fact, nobody was. Most of the people that had that were working with him, including General Green, who was one of his better generals, learned in books. They never had actually done it. Wow. And uh so Greensboro's named after General Green. So okay. it's kind of we got a little tie there. But anyhow, George Washington, when they were after they lost Bunker Hill, they had the British surrounded in Boston, but they couldn't take Boston because a couple of issues. One is the Americans didn't have any gunpowder. 
they only had enough gunpowder for two shots wow. per person. Well, and the British never knew that. Had they known that, they could have stormed and taken over and wiped out Washington. So you think sometimes the loudest voice or the perception of one power is all we need? You did you you played basketball or football? I was a basketball star, Bill. I didn't play basketball. <laughs> I was basketball. Well, I played football, and I remember in football you would see the other team get off the bus, and you go, "Oh my God, look at how big they are!" Yeah, and you'd start psyching yourself out. Well, that's what happened with the British. They thought. General Washington had all kinds of resources and more men than they actually had. The British actually had two or three times the amount of people that the Americans had. And uh, the only way they kicked the British out without firing a shot is General Howe. I think it was Howe. uh was a young man, and he was very low ranked, but he was able to get his idea up to Washington and present his idea. Where in the British Army, if a low-ranking officer had an idea, it stayed there. You didn't you didn't bring it up to wow. the, to the admiral or to Cornwallis. So it got to Washington, and his idea was to go back to Ticonderoga, I think it was, and get the guns, the uh, four-ton shoot guns, two-ton guns, one-ton uh -huh. guns, and bring them back overland by I think four or five hundred miles in the winter, and then put them on the heights overlooking. Boston, which was the high ground. And uh, the British didn't want to take the high ground because they figured that it would be a bad battle for them. So they just left the high ground as a neutral area. Uh -huh. So nobody had it. So when uh, this guy came up with the idea to get these guns, they had the range to hit the boats in the harbor. Wow. And that freaked out. So they went and got these guns. And Washington said to the man, he said, and I think he was 32, he said, I'm going to give you a $1,000 budget, which was quite a bit. And you can take one person. And the guy took his 19-year-old brother. And they went up and they hired people and brought back the guns. And they put them at night. They carried them up to the top of this. I forgot the name of the heights. And uh, the next day, the British woke up and they saw these guns. And they knew the range of them. And again, they didn't have but two bullets. Mm -hmm. I mean, powder. So you know what Washington did? He took wine barrels and whiskey barrels, filled them up with rocks, reinforced them and set them up so that they were, could shoot from behind them, but they could also roll them down because the British would come up in a straight line, right? roll them down and break legs and bodies. And they, so they used those as a weapon. And then they built straw people to look like more soldiers than they had. Well, the British got psyched out. So they left the harbor. Wow. They, they resigned. And Washington said, told them, if you burn the city, we're going to blow up your boats. And so they never burned the city. So, so, Bill, sometimes perception is reality. Yes. And, you know, when you look at what we started with, with the two attorneys of these two men said the matter is resolved. And part of the agreement is we won't be commenting further, says one attorney. So our Speaker of the House, who a speaker speaks a lot, no one's saying anything now. Got quiet, and, huh? Yeah, and we want to be respectful of people's private life because yeah. none of us are perfect. But I just thought that he had a rough week and a half with the Supreme Court saying no. And this other young man suing him saying that he, you know, was messing with his wife. And I think uh, Speaker Moore said, well, he didn't think it was a problem. He was divorced and they were separated. But it looks like the young lady wasn't divorced. But hopefully they'll get all that cleaned yeah. up. Yeah. 
Speaking of cleaning things up, though, and perception being reality, the Supreme Court was was busy again, Bill. They were busy in a gay rights defeat. Supreme Court rules for a designer who doesn't want to make wedding websites for a gay couple. In a defeat of gay rights, the Supreme Court conservative majority ruled on Friday that a Christian graphic artist who wants to design wedding websites can refuse to work with same-sex couples. One of the court's liberal justices wrote in a dissent that decisions affects is to mark gay and lesbians for second-class status and that it opens the door to other discriminations. Bill, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, the Supreme Court's been busy, man. Yeah, they've been busy. But they didn't they didn't take the side of my man from North Carolina. No. That's what I'm saying, Tim. You had a you had a bad day. Yeah. You had a bad week. <laughs> you had a bad week, man. You know, they knocked down affirmative action, they knocked down certain gay rights, they knocked down Roe B. Wade, but they wouldn't mess with Tim. Yeah. Tim's like, dog, man, I'm snake bitten. <laughs> he had a rough week. Yeah, I feel sorry for the guy. So let me ask another question. All politics are local. Mm-hmm. So our good friend, Mayor Nancy Vaughn, wants to ban disruptive speakers from city council meetings. Now, you know, some people show that behind. you on the school board. What do you think about trying to ban all disruptive speakers from city council meetings, Bill? Well, how do you define disruptive? I guess when they get up there and open their mouth and, and say something you don't like them, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. them to say, it's, man. It's tough. You know, I do think in our case, we, we allow three minutes uh, we allow 30 minutes for speakers, so 10 speakers, and they can apply online, and it's first come, first serve. Uh-huh. And, you know, I I asked when we started doing that, I said, what happens if we get the same people all the time? Right. Which is a possibility because, you know, people that want to speak just jump in there and take it. And we had a, a period of time where the same speakers were showing up. And I said, if we really want to let other people do it, we ought to open it up so that it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you speak once, you've got the next three months, you can't speak again. Now you can get somebody else to speak on your behalf. That's fine. But uh, but we haven't acted on that. We haven't acted on that. And I don't know if we will, because, you know, I, I said, if you really want comments from the general audience, you got to let people actually speak. You know, like I applied one time to speak about our Youth Resilience Summit. Yes. I didn't make the cut for the 10. I, wow. was, I was a backup. So <laughs> You a backup, Bill? I don't see you as a backup, yeah, Bill. Yeah, I was a backup. And so I never got a chance to speak. They had our literature. We sent it in. They printed it out. And they, I saw a couple of them walking around with it. This was before I was on the school board. and uh, But the people that got up had spoken two times before when I was there. Bill, so. Bill, Bill, Bill. Affirmative action knocked you out of being in law school. Mm-hmm. And you were the backup in the city council meeting. But let's talk about something that did happen because we talked about the Supreme Court on that level. And it's almost like the Supreme Court is somewhat politicized in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. It's the best system in the world and it's our system. But I think like anything else, uh, we need to tune up. But two things locally. It's a big article came out about ransomware criminals are targeting nation's school, dumping kids' private files online. Now, you're a school board member. Another article came out that I want you to comment on said, Gobo good is gone. In a rare move, this bill could end his school board term. 
Now, I'm like, are they talking about my friend Goble? Good is gone <laughs> in a rare move. So back to what the Supreme Court is establishing. A certain group of people says, I want to challenge what happened. Whether it's on a national level that reaches all the way up to the Supreme Court. And believe it or not, this whole situation with my good friend Bill Goble, one day might be in front of the Supreme Court. What say you, my friend? Well, the, what you're speaking about is uh, there was in 1925, there was a law that went to the Supreme Court of North Carolina that said the state legislature has complete authority over the school boards in the entire state. So they theoretically, they could actually replace all the school board members if they wanted to. And, uh, and what year is that again? 1925. 1925. I wasn't even born then. Yeah, I mean, either. And I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I was close, though. So that law is uh, they, they put a bill in uh, that passed the House so far, and I think it's going through the Senate this week or next, that basically says that, uh, I may have this wrong, but it basically says any appointments by Guilford County, that's the county we're in, that happened since December of last year till whatever date it was, like sometime in the end of June, is null and void and they have to redo them. So it's specifically pointed toward me. So it's the global law. It's almost like the Affordable Care Act turned into Obamacare. Yeah. So the, whatever this law is going to be, is going to be turned into global whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting in Tennessee, when they kicked out those two individuals from the state legislature, it made national news. I'm not sure this is going to make national news or not, but it's kind of interesting. Why not? I mean, why not? Because everything else that's happening now, the U.S. Supreme Court just said to the state of North Carolina, pump your brakes, partner. Yeah. And this is that same body. It's yeah. the same legislative body in Raleigh that the Supreme Court just said, pump your brakes, who just pass a law that's going to, in their mind, target you and kick you out of your position. Because they want to put a different Republican in. We're both Republicans, but they want a different one in. Wait a bit, man, but you're both Republicans. You're both white. You're both male. You both are old. I, what's, <laughs> what's going on with the GOP? What's going on? I mean, you all are fighting each other. How about a circular firing squad? You yeah. think that might be a good suggestion? Okay, the good-looking, slim and trim, black Democrat says... It looks to him like you have a political circular firing squad, GOP, especially in Guilford County. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's different. And, uh, you know, people ask me, I was having lunch yesterday with a guy out of Cleveland, the scout executive, and we were sharing him the story and he, him and his wife couldn't believe it. And they said, why are you staying in? Why are you taking this abuse? And I said, well, first off, I don't consider it abuse. I consider it my duty to represent District 3 and the kids. And I've been brought up when someone asks you to do something and you can volunteer to do it and you can do a good job, it's your responsibility to do it. Okay. It's like if you see someone on the side of the road that needs help with a flat tire, should you stop or should you not? You got that same look on your face that I saw when we were in Normandy Beach and you were talking about the people who did their duty by 
giving up their life, not comparing the two, but just so you know, mm-hmm. you had that same look on your face. What is it about this duty thing that make you go into a whole nother place? Well, it's the way I was brought up. I was brought up to do my duty. You know, scouting is real simple. Duty to God, duty to country, service to others, and then worry about yourself. And right now, this is duty to country. And so I'm doing duty to country. And I was asked to do duty to country. And if you were in the military and you were asked to jump out of a plane behind the enemy lines to support your country and you did it, duty to country. I'm not comparing myself to that kind of dangerous, life-giving thing. But in my way, this is my duty to country, is to give back. And that's what I'm doing. And it's and the people don't like it. Some people, nine people that are on the executive committee of the GOP don't like it. And the nine other nine people that represent all the people of Guilford County, six of the nine like it. So they represent more people than these nine people. So if you were to say, well, we should do a representation, well, they they have they've been elected, these nine school board members, you know, have been elected by the population of their district. The nine people there in the district on the uh, committee for the GOP are a handful of people voter, maybe less than 200. So which one is representative better? And so the people on the school board asked me to do it. I told the Republican Party I would do it. I spoke to the Speaker of the Senate. I talked to House members. I talked to the Chief Justice Supreme Court. He actually called the head of the GOP and said Bill would be good for it. So it's not like this was out of the clear blue. And you forgot that mention that uh, two of the Republican board members are suing the rest of us on the school board for I, an open meeting for hiding behind doors and doing secret meetings, which we never did. You know, I'm sorry. I I have Republican fatigue right now between <laughs> President Trump and Ron DeSantimonious and Tim Scott and everything that's going on. I just can't, I just can't keep up with what you all are doing now. Y'all are wilding, man. Y'all are wilding. You forgot. I'm sanctioned. I'm sanctioned as well. That means I can't go to any GOP event in Guilford County. And so my question is, you got a guy that's got 36 indictments against him. He's already been sued for, I guess, rape, something like that. And he lost and he's not censored. Wow. But that's the guy when he came to North Carolina, Greensboro, this same group of people was there waiting in line, getting the best seat, cheering him on. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't get it. But don't wh- get where it. does the children, the kids, because one of the things that you've taught me, the main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing in all the criticism of you. I haven't heard anyone, and maybe I just missed it because, you know, sometimes I get Republican fatigue. It's like, it just all sound like wonk, wonk, wonk sometimes to me as a good looking, slim and trim black Democrat. You know, it's like, man, at first it was amusing, but now it's getting kind of pathetic the way everything's going on locally here with the Republican Party. And so who's talking about the children? I mean, isn't this the school board? Isn't talking about school I don't even hear anybody talking about uh, woke or critical race theory. I don't hear any of that. It's all about you. Yeah, yeah. It's that's just, that's this pathetic thing about it. Nothing's brought up about what's right for the kids. And if you put the bio of myself and the other person side by side, who is the best person qualified with background experience in youth programs and being involved with youth? 
and being involved with businesses. And uh, you'd have to pull that up and, and see which one is better qualified. In my case, I think I am. And that's another reason that I took it. If I wasn't qualified for it, I'd say, no, that's I can't do that kind of a job. But I can do this. You know, it's going to take me time to get my feet underneath me to to learn some of the stuff because it's a complex, it's a billion dollar business. I mean, you don't pick up a billion dollar business just by walking in the door. It takes time. You got to put in effort. Right now, I've been to about 45 different events. Wow. And I've only started this since April 4th. So it's been, it's been busy. Well, tell us, tell the audience as much as you can and that which you can't just ignore me. What? happens next because it's hard for some of us to keep up with who's on first who's on second who's on third because i think it's a loss okay you've been censored you have been sued you were threatened to come to a hearing where you're going to be permanently disbarred so what's next what can you tell us what's what's the next what's going to well, happen to you next are you going to be tarred and feathered well they, they want to have a hearing for party disloyalty they've temporarily delay that pending the lawsuit and the legislation change. But if both those go away, then they're going to put me up for party disloyalty. And uh, that means they could ban me from the Republican party for up to five years. And I'm like, holy cow. You know, the interesting thing is I donated about over $7,000 to the Republican party. And I'm going to ask him, I said, can I still give you money? Is my allowed to give you money if I have, if I'm unloyal? Ouch. Ouch. Who else who we may know, since this is a national and international program, who have been either barred or banned or censored? Didn't they censor a couple of senators too? Senator Tillis, Tom Tillis, he's got censored because I think he did something with the LBGQ community and something with immigration that was contrary to the Republican Party platform. And so they censored him over that. How about uh, our good buddy, Speaker of the House? No, he hasn't been censored. But he's made national news for this situation he's yeah. in, and it just went away. Yeah. Well, I maybe I ought to talk to his lawyers and see what they did. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Bill? That's why we all love you. It's not funny. Of course it's not funny. But this is sometimes you like, for real, y'all? Yeah. How yeah. long is this the Hatfields and the McCoys? How long will this be going on until, what, the right person is in there? Now, I can understand if the Democrats put a Democrat in there. Oh, they yeah. put Odell in there. It's like, nah, we're going to get his black behind out of there. Yeah. But, Bill, you've been a Republican forever? Well, at least the last four or five years I have. I was independent before that. Non-party. So, uh, so but I always, you know, I, like I voted for Reagan. But protect us out, though, Bill. Bill, you're not Republican enough. I've heard the term when people say, oh, no, you're not black enough. I'm like, <laughs> what in the heck does that mean? You might not be Republican enough to be a Republican, man. Well, you know, they called me a rhino. You know, okay. Republican in name only. And I, I totally agree. I am a rhino because I'm an American first. Okay. I like I, that. I'm American first. Then I'm a Republican, but American first. And they don't know how to respond to that. And so, you know, it is what it is. I think we're going through a period of where Trump has influenced a lot of people. Like we were driving back from Cleveland and I saw in Winston a sign from Donald Trump saying they're coming after me and they're coming after you next. And then I saw another sign that this is uh, 
This is uh, who's the they? I don't know. It doesn't who's say the they. It's, it's, a, it's a billboard. Okay, so it's a billboard is the black people. Hey, the black people that came after me, the black people coming after you next. Is it the brown people came after me, the brown people coming at you next? Is it the LBGTQ people coming after me, they coming after you next? Who's the booger man, boo? Who's the booger man, Bill? Who's the booger man? Who's President Trump saying or those who represent him saying, hey, guys, hey, the booger man is coming. He came after me and he's coming after you next. Because that's the kind of rhetoric that did divide the country. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, they also said in the, one of them, this is, what is it? Uh, something that Trump does. I forgot what it's called. But uh, they had a sign with that listed as well. This is not Trump company, but something else. I'll think of it in a minute. How about that Let's Go Biden sign? Is those is those still out there or they're not out there? No, is it Let's Go Biden? What's it called? Um Let's go Brandon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, let's go Brandon. Yeah, the let's, let's go, go Brandon, Brandon signs. I don't see them as much as we used to and flags out there. So it's just interesting when you look at the whole thing. But, you know, President Trump has his own challenges. Mm-hmm. And like everybody, but these are grown men and women. So if what President Trump is doing is going down to the local level, the state level and everything else, because all politics are local. That's just interesting. And Lord knows the Democrat party, we have enough challenges, but boy, y'all making our job a little easier, Bill. Y'all making our job a lot easier because this district three, the last time I checked, I think it was like 40 something percent Democrat, 40 something percent Republican. And no, no. And a high independent in there too. So what make the Republican Party think or believe that that seat is a Republican seat? Well, versus the people's seat. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the law was that uh, it, it was held by a Republican who got a, another political office. And so technically, in, uh, it's set up so that the party can nominate their own person. Now, in, the, in some cases, like if a congressman passes in a congressional seat, the governor can all appoint somebody. And if he's from the other party, he could put another party person in. He doesn't have to follow it. So it just depends how the law is written. In the state of North Carolina, it's set up so that the local party can decide who who gets who gets the uh, seat. And what's happened here is the school board has since November has turned down the guy that the Republicans have given every time. And at one point they were going to put three names in mind, if guy they don't want and somebody else and that was rejected by the Republican executive board. And it's interesting on the executive board is the guy's name who is wow keeps coming up. So, so they said either you're going to yeah. do it my way or no way. You got it. You, it's got interesting. It. you know, this kind of reminds me of uh, what I talked about earlier, Mitch McConnell, who told President Obama that, hey, we're going to we're going to freeze your selection. We're not going to pass your selection for eight months. Yeah. I think 12 months is a year. Because it wasn't right for the fact that a new president would be coming in. And then right before President Trump was leaving, they passed his selection in eight weeks and said, it's fair. So I've got something I want to read. Yes. This is a quote. And uh, I'm going to when I get done, I'm going to ask you who you think said this. Okay. Remember this. Nothing worth doing ever, ever, ever came easy. Follow your convictions means you must be willing to face criticism 
from those who lack the same courage to do what is right. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace the label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label because it's the outsiders who change the world and it will make a real and lasting difference. The more that a broken system tells you that you are wrong, the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing forward. You must keep pushing forward. You never, ever give up. There will be times in your life that you want to quit. You want to go home. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I just never will quit. You will build a future where we will have courage to chase our dreams, no matter what the cynics and the doubters have to say. You'll have the confidence to speak the hopes in your hearts and to express the love that stirs your souls. And you will have the faith to replace broken establishment with a government that serves and protects the people. They are not coming after me. They are coming after you. I'm just standing in the way. Wow. If I had to guess, first, I'd say Ronald Reagan first, Abraham Lincoln second, John McCain third. Well, that's how I feel, what I just read, that them coming after me. But that was Donald Trump. What? That was his ad on Facebook that he ran. When when did he? Uh, It was about uh, on May 17th. He had an ad on Facebook, and I copied it, cut and pasted it. That's what he ran. But that's how I feel that the Republican Party is coming after me. And I plan on reading that if they have me for a hearing. Yes. I'm going to say, I'm going to read you something. This is how I feel. But who do you think said that? Bill, read that again for me, please. Please. I mean, that's just, just messed me up. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Please read that again. Remember this. Nothing worth doing ever. Well, he probably didn't write it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you think you think. Remember this. Nothing worth doing ever, ever came easy. Follow your convictions means you will be willing to face criticism from those who lack the courage to do what is right. Sounds familiar, huh? Relish the opportunity of being an outsider. Really sounds familiar. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label because it's the outsiders who change the world and will make a real difference and lasting difference. The more a broken system tells you that you are wrong, the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing ahead. You must keep pushing ahead. Never, ever give up. There will be times in your life that you want to quit. You want to go home. I can't do that. I can't just do that. Just never quit. You will build a future where we live, where we have the courage to chase our dreams, no matter what the cynics and doubters have to say. You have the confidence to speak the hopes in the hearts, in your hearts, and to express the love that stirs your soul. And you will have the faith to replace a broken establishment with a government that serves and protects the people. They are not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just standing in the way. So, Bill, that sounds like Donald J. Trump is positioning himself like he's a martyr. This is crazy. This is bat crazy from my perspective. However, this is America. And anyone and everyone who believes what President Trump is saying You have the right to believe it. I just don't. Bill, you have the last word, my friend. Well, stay tuned. The big date for me is July 18th. That's our next school board meeting. 
and supposedly the law would be passed to kick me out and we'll see what happens. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, I can tell you one thing. Oswald Chambers in his diary talks about coming back from Europe, uh, coming back from the United States on a mission trip with his new wife. And he was on a steamer and he was sitting on top deck reading a book in the sunshine. And his wife came up to him and says, Oswald, we, we, we land in two days. And I know you told me you're a pastor and we're not going to have much and that I shouldn't worry. But I am worried because you don't have a job. We don't have a place to stay. All we have is what's in the trunks in the steamer. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to do? And he looked at his wife and he said, honey, remember I told you that we weren't going to have anything, but I trusted the Lord and to do the next thing. And she says, yeah, I remember that. Well, I'm trusting the Lord and we're going to do the next thing. And she goes, oh my gosh, what's the next thing? And he said, the next thing is for me to take a nap. And he rolled over and took a nap. And at first I read that, I got mad at him because I said, your wife is wanting a hug. She wants to feel good. And you just blew that off and you're rolling over, take a nap. Then I thought about it. When I'm stressed, can I sleep? When I'm stressed, do I get anxious? Yes. He was so comfortable in trusting the Lord and doing the next thing, he could go to sleep and know what God had it. And that's how I feel about the school board. God's got it. It's way beyond me. All these things happening now, do you think I could have orchestrated any of it? Heck no. So it's a God thing. And if God says you're out, then I'm out. I'll go do something else. I might start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and to that, I will say to you and the audience, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.